Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Ryan. If we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And our senior pastor, Jeff, has been away over the last few weeks. He's been uh, speaking. He often does this at the end of July. He's been at our national conference last week. And then he was at uh, our, our youth conference, kind of for this fellowship of this group of churches that we connect to. And so he's been gone speaking over the last few weeks. And I'm starting to miss him. And I, I figured you guys probably are too. And I know that he misses us. So I thought what we could do is take a selfie and send it to him. So we're going to do that real quick. And uh, what I want you guys to do here in a second is I'm going to have you wave, and we're going to get a picture for Pastor Jeff. We're going to send it. Hang on. Stay with me. Everybody say hi. Yes. (laughs) My uh, bald, glowing forehead was in the bottom corner. Fantastic. Well, we're in this uh, series right now called with the, with the End in Mind, and we've been saying that uh, really we want to get our heads and minds around how do we live with wisdom. We said that typically we're going to approach life and kind of live towards whatever the next thing is that's coming, right? It's, ten, it's how do we tend to live, right? If I'm a student, I'm living towards graduation. If I'm single, I may be living towards marriage. If I'm engaged, I'm living towards that wedding date living towards having children, and we kind of lean into whatever that next kind of wall is that we can't see past. And we said that if we're going to be people of wisdom, we kind of have to get above those walls. And specifically, if we're a follower of Jesus, we have a ton of help with this because Jesus gives us this reality that this world is going to end and that everything that we know and everything we see as normal is going to stop, right? That this world's going to burn with fire and Jesus is going to return and, and really all that we think of as normal is going to change. And we said that if we're going to be people of wisdom, we need to look out towards that end, and we need to, to drive that back and begin to get ready for that return of Christ. And we said, how do we do that? What does that look like? And so over the last handful of weeks, we said, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through really three major words that show up in the Bible all the time. And I think they really help us to understand how to live with the end in mind. And those three words are this, they're faith, hope, and love. And those words really wrap up how can we really walk with this end in view, the reality that Jesus is going to come back and we're going to see him face to face. And so last week what we did is we said we want to be people of faith. We want to walk in faithfulness to Jesus. And what that looked like is we said that we don't want to waste our lives, the resources and what God has given us. Instead, we want to leverage all that we have and all that we are for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. So that when he comes back, we can share in his happiness as, as our master and as our king. And what we want to do today is we're going to dive into this concept and this piece called hope. And what does it mean to be, to be a person of hope and to walk in hope? Pastor Ben began to talk to us a little bit about that. And hope is a fascinating thing. It's extremely powerful. I think it has an unbelievable power to change our lives when we lock on to what hope is and what it does. And I, I want to show you guys one verse here real quick, and then we're really going to dive into the conversation uh, this verse has really captivated my imagination for a long time. First Peter 1.13. I just put it up on the screen for us here. It's a New American Standard Version. They've really captured it well in their translation. Here's what they said. Peter, talking to the church that he's leading, says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ when Jesus comes back. 
Right? So what Peter's saying is, hey, man, we got we to gotta begin to get ready for this. And we need to look towards this hope and we need to fix and place really all of the hope that we have into this future. What does this really mean? We, we really have to start with this definition of hope. Uh, we, the way we think of hope is going to be a little bit different than the Bible talks about it. So we tend to think of hope just as kind of wishful thinking, right? So it's maybe a 50% chance of rain today. I hope it doesn't rain. Right? I'm speeding down the highway at 10 over. I hope I don't get a ticket. Right? I hope I get a promotion. I hope I get a raise. I hope it's a nice day out, right? It's wishful thinking. It's a desire. The biblical definition is going to be much stronger than that. It's going to be really an expectation, Right? Much more than a desire, much more than wishful thinking. It's really going to be an expectation that I'm going to lean out on and I'm going to live as if this is true. Right? Specifically, when, when we're talking about something that God has said, when somebody's talking about hope, they're, they're looking at something that God said and saying, boy, this reality that God talked about, I'm going to put my hope into that and I'm going to live as if that's reality. And you might be saying, well, Ryan, that sounds a lot like faith. How is that different from faith? Faith is certainly involved in it. I, I put my belief in it. I have a level of certainty that what God has said is true, but there's more to it. Uh, there, there's an emotional piece that plays out. Right? There, there's a transfer. I, I call it an emotional transfer of stock. Right? My, my, the stock of my emotions is transferred from this world into the next one. Right? Or maybe we could see it this way. That, Rather than having the emotional stock of hope in this next wall and getting over that next hill or, man, when I hit this next stage in life, then I'll have, there's a transfer from that process and I transfer that stock of hope into the future. And I, I transfer that into what God has said and I place my emotions, my heart, my passions there. And here's really what I, I began to see as I started to understand this expectation more and more as I saw something playing out called, that I call the hope cycle. The hope cycle. I'm going to walk us through that. What the hope cycle does is it really explains, I think, a little bit of how hope works. And so we look at this expectation that we have, that we're living as if this expectation is real and as if it's true. And as I begin to let this expectation grow in my heart and mind more and more, we're going to look at some examples in a second, what happens is I drive back here and I begin to engage in preparation, preparation. And as I begin to prepare for this expectation that's coming, I start to do the details in the day in and day out to get ready for whatever's coming. As I do that, put my heart and mind and resources and energy there, that causes my expectation to grow even more. And as my expectation grows, my preparation grows, and my expectation grows, my right? And the hope cycle is starting to kick in. Here's an example of this. You, I've, uh, I've had the privilege of um, officiating a lot of weddings over the years, and, um, and I, what I've noticed is that sometimes brides will lock into a big expectation for their wedding day. You ever see this happen before? Right? They're like, as little girls, you're like, they're looking forward to the wedding day so much, and there's this big expectation about what that's going to look like. It's going to be so awesome, right? And so we'll take that expectation, and sometimes this happens where brides will drive that back, and they'll drive that expectation, the fire and passion they have for that, and that will go into preparation. So, right, so all the little details that make the wedding happen, choosing the invitations and the colors, and what's it going to look like, and the party, and who's going to be in the wedding party, and how many people are going to invite, and all of the details and the mania that goes into the prep, guess what? As they're doing that, that fires up a bigger expectation of the day. And so then there's more preparation that goes into it. And that, my friends, that's right there is how you get Bridezilla. That's it. If you ever wondered how, how did this woman turn into Bridezilla, right there. 
She got trapped in the hope cycle, man, and it just went ballistic on her. That's it. That's how it works. I was thinking back to, uh, to Lori and I in our dating relationship. I love, uh, love thinking back to those days. A lot of fun. And uh, Lori and I started dating in college, and Lori lived at home. And uh, so we'd spend a lot of time at her house. And as our relationship began to grow and build more and more, we got to this point, you know, like, like any of you who are married, you know, you get to this point where eventually you have to have the conversation, like, are we going to do this? Are we for real? Like, I'm in, are you in? Are we going to, let's get married. You know, let's do this thing. And so we just got to that point where we were like ready to get married and we were sure, but we hadn't told anybody, right? So it's just her and I, and we'd, we communicated that, we were excited about it and we're fired up. And I started to imagine like the next step of what I knew I had to take if we're going to move down this road of marriage. I started to imagine talking to my father-in-law, you know, and asking for his hand, his, his daughter's hand in marriage. And how am I going to do that? What's that going to look like? Am I going to take him to breakfast and going to do the face-to-face and we're going to do man-to-man? Maybe we should go for a walk, you know, and do shoulder-to-shoulder. That's usually a better guy way to do it. <laughs> Maybe we go for a drive. I'm like, man, he'd probably wreck the car. You know, if I take him that, we're out. And I started to just get my imagination moving on what's this going to be like. So not too long after we made this decision, I started imagining this. And then one night, we're up late at Lori's house, hanging out with her mom. Dad had gone to bed. He gets up super early, right? So he gets up at like 4.30 in the morning. So he's in bed, and it's just the three of us talking on this couch together, and mom is like so pro Ryan and Lori, right? She's like very excited about our relationship. So she gets us going to start talking about the future, and somehow she gets out of us the fact that we want to get married, right? She kind of ekes it out of us. I'm like, how did this happen, right? So we, start, I tell, we kind of tell her that we're looking to get married, and yeah, this is the future we're looking towards. And then she starts to get super excited about it. She gets fired up and she's like, now, you know, Ryan, I I can't keep this. And she looks at Lori and she says, honey, I can't keep this from your dad. I got to go wake him up. (laughs) And I'm like, this is all just getting away from me. She runs up the stairs to wake him up. And you got to appreciate, if you know my father-in-law, you know this, but he's, um, I don't know, he's like, uh, he... He basically is Robert De Niro, right? If you, if you know my father-in-law, he basically is. If you just get that picture in your mind. That's probably the best, best place to think of it. And so he's a Lebanese guy. Like, he's just an awesome guy. We have a great relationship, but he is Robert De Niro, and so all that comes with that. And he's in a, a dead sleep, and, uh, and mom's running up the stairs to get him, and I'm like, how is this happening to me right now, right? This is, I have this process, I had this envision, I'm starting to get my mind around it, I'm not ready yet for this. And she goes and wakes him up, he comes down, it's so fantastic. He walks down in his underwear and a bathrobe. <laughs> he's squinting like this out of a dead sleep. He's like, what, something on fire? What are you doing? Right? He's like, why are you waking me up right now? So here's what mom does, she goes and grabs this high back chair, uh, she sets it in the middle of the room, and uh, here's her, Lori, and here's dad. And she, she goes, okay, Ryan, go ahead and sit down, uh, honey. Ryan's got something he wants to tell you. All the blood drains from my head. I thought I was going to pass out, man. I mean, it was like, I am not prepared for this. So I get something out of me like, yeah, Dad, we like each other, and we want to get, can I have your, your daughter's hand in marriage? You know, it was pathetic. I was just not ready for this. You know, and it was amazing to me, out of a dead sleep, you know, he's standing there, or he's sitting here on the couch, and he looks at me, and, and man, it was as if he had prepared for this, you know? He fires off to me, why do you love my daughter? Bam! I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I was not, I was not prepped at all, man. I, I looked at him, and I was just like, uh, 
she's nice <laughs> and, and pretty. And man, I got annihilated by that. And now, as a, a dad of three daughters, man, I know something I didn't know then, that ever since his little girl was born, he knew this day was coming, buddy, and he was prepared for it. He had prepped himself for the day that his son-in-law stood. I wonder how many times he ran that image through his mind. Let me tell you, when my son-in-laws come, I will be ready. Oh, yeah, I will uh, be polishing my gun, let me tell you. But I think this is how this cycle plays, right? It doesn't always have to be something that's ultra-positive, but something that's coming that has captivated my imagination, my expectation, and I'm going to drive that back, and that preparation's going to kick in, and then my, my expectation for it is going to grow more and more and more. And it may, maybe it's a deadline at work, and I know that it's coming, and so I have to get ready, and as it, the importance of it grows in my mind more and more. And so really, this is, a, I think, a truism in general that we can look at and say, this is just kind of how it is. If I'm, if I'm putting my hope in this wall, I'm going to prep for that wall more and more. It's kind of how life works. Now, where this becomes very significant for us, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, is this is how this works in our fellowship of Christ. It's how hope gets fired up in us. And so I said, wait, how can we spend our time here most effectively and begin to see this cycle play out, and I thought one of the best things we could do together is maybe begin to see this expectation grow, maybe even in the room today, that if we could, if you can imagine, um, even getting a little glimpse of heaven even now, don't you think that way that, don't you think even if I could just see heaven for a minute, you know, like if I could see Jesus for all that he is right now in, in heaven, man, that my imagination would be so fired up that, that I would totally live different if I could get my, my head around that and my heart around that. Don't you think that way? Like, oh, the Apostle Paul, dude, that guy got to go to heaven. He got to see Jesus and have a vision of Jesus face to face. Can you imagine? No wonder he was so on fire. So what I want to do is I want to take us to uh, kind of the, one of the best pictures in Scripture that, that we're given of what heaven's going to be like, you know, a bit of what what Jesus is like today, like, right? If we could make an incision in reality and peel it back and look into heaven, what would we see? And maybe even in our time here together, our expectation could begin to grow and boy, maybe that would fire up preparation in our lives in a brand new way. Because I think when I look at my own life, I don't have so much of a preparation problem as I have an expectation problem. Right, then I will, when I look at the future and look at the return of Jesus, my vision maybe, it, it just isn't big enough. It's not strong enough. And so let's take a look at that. If you would, turn with me to the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, fascinating book. And we're going to look into a, a story here, a vision that the Apostle John has of heaven if you don't have a Bible with you, make sure to grab one of those underneath your chairs there. It's page 863 in those Bibles. And we're going to look at this story, this interaction that John had. And I, even before we look at it, I need to prep you a little bit for it because what John's going to see in his vision of heaven, you've got to realize that he's trying to describe stuff that, that he's never seen before. There's really no words to put to the realities that he's experiencing. So he's doing the best that he can. So know that there's some vague descriptions here. He's doing the best he can to put words to something that really uh, is limited by language. Revelation chapter 4, let's look at this a bit. Throne in heaven, 
is what my Bible calls this section. John talking, he says this, after this I looked and there before me was a, a door standing open in heaven. Imagine having that opportunity to see a door and say, this is my, this is my shot to see heaven. This is in the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white, had crowns of gold on their heads, and from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there is what looked like, like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being. Can you begin to get your heart and mind around what's happening here? We're looking into this door in heaven and, and John sees a throne and he sees God on it. How do you describe God? He says, it's like the most precious thing I could ever pick, right? The most precious descriptor I could come up with, Jasper and Ruby, these precious em, precious uh, rocks and stones. He said this rainbow encircled the throne. It's like an emerald. And around the throne are these 24 other thrones. He would have known that, that these thrones held the people that of all creation and all the people that lived had the honor of sitting closest to God. Imagine being one of those. Even being able to see those people. They had crowns of gold on their head and they're dressed in white. Right? There's a sea of glass, clear as crystal, all around. And these four living creatures, how do you even explain what he's talking about here? He's like, man, they got wings and they've got eyes all over them. One's like a man, and one's like an ox, and one's like a lion, and one's like a flying eagle. You know, and, and he's, he's seeing all of these things and his mind had to be blown and he watched them continue to, to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy are you, God. And they just continued to worship over and over and over. I had the privilege of going to St. Thomas a few years ago for a, a vow renewal that this couple took Lori and I down there with them to renew their vows. And when we were down there, we were on top of this mountain as a resort there, and it overlooked the most beautiful scene uh, of the, the Caribbean. 
And when we were down there, I was looking at that, and we were just down there for a handful of days. I just could not stop saying, man, this is so awesome, isn't it? Look out there. Look how beautiful this is. This is so amazing. You know, I just, I couldn't, it was like the words were getting sucked out of my mouth because of the beauty of what I was experiencing. It was almost involuntary. <laughs> I, just, I just kept saying it over and over, and the people that were with me, they were kind of the same way. Because we were just so awestruck by what we experienced. That's what's happening here. These 24 elders and these four weird creatures, right, that have eyes all over and are surrounding God, they can't even help themselves. They are so absolutely blown away by, by seeing God and being in his presence. They can't, they can't help but say how amazing he is, how worthy he is. And these 24 elders, if there is anybody to respect in all of humanity, I, I promise you, it will be these 24 individuals that, that have the closest, the proximity to the throne of God. Even they would kneel down, man, and say, like, here's my crown. Any glory that I've accomplished from following Jesus, it's your glory, God. You are due this glory. You're due this honor. And out of an involuntary response, the, the praise and the worship of God is just, it's sucked out of them because of the overwhelming awesomeness of being with God. Stay with me, the story continues. It says, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, this is Jesus, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, this is Jesus as well, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain with your blood. You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. The scene in heaven shifts from God at the absolute center of all attention and all worship, and now it shifts to from father to son, uh, from God, the one on the throne, to Jesus, the one who had conquered death and crushed Satan, the one who had given his life to purchase back people from death and from hopelessness. And now they're looking to Jesus, and they're saying, your name is the only name that is worthy to be praised 
You're the only one worthy to open this scroll that we're looking at, and, and now we worship you. Verse 11, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That is a hundred million angels, a hundred million. I'm positive he didn't count, but there's a lot of angels, okay? That's a third of the size of the U.S. Have you ever been to an amazing concert, right, or, or maybe a game that has a couple, couple tens of thousands of people? Man, and it feels so huge, and everybody's there, and everybody's locked into this experience together. We're talking about 100 million uh, angels all together. I don't even know how he would be able to see this far, but it's heaven we're talking about. Listen to what they say in a loud voice. Imagine this in unison, 100 million of them, a third of the U.S. It's the scope we're talking. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. 100 million. So you've got the four living creatures and you've got the 24 elders and this layer beyond here, you've got 100 million angels or more all focused around Jesus, the hero of history, the victor that, that won life, that rescued humanity from the grip of death, the one that restored hope. Finally, Verse 13, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Four living creatures said amen. The elders fell down and worshiped. Man, you imagine seeing the scene. all of humanity. I don't know how this all played out, but somehow we know that every human being will bow the knee to Jesus and confess him as Lord. Some will do it from heaven and some will do it from hell. But every creature will give praise to God and will confess him as Lord. Can you imagine all that have ever lived, all focused in around Jesus? Can you begin to see that picture? Can we begin to grow an expectation of what that day is going to be like? Begin to allow that to grow in our heart and mind. Because here's the thing. That scene that we just described, an amazing scene, an overwhelming scene. One day, you and I, if it's a week from now or a month from now or years or a hundred years, you and I are going to walk into that throne room and in front of all of creation and all of the angelic realm, you and I are going to meet Jesus face to face. When we're talking about the end, that's the reality we're talking about. That end is coming. When we see Jesus in, in all of his glory and we see him for who he really is, that's going to happen. Guys, when, when that expectation starts to click in, automatically we begin to understand what it means to prepare. Right? Isn't that how it works? 
Because if I, if I said you're going to meet next week the person that you respect the most on the planet, you would know how to prep for that, right? You'd know how to get ready. You start to think of things right away of, oh, I, I better get this ready. If I was going to you know, meet C.S. Lewis, somebody I respect a ton, right? He's not alive anymore. If I could meet him and I could have lunch with him, I'd be like, man, I'm brushing up on those books and I want to make sure I know what he said and I'm going to be prepared. And if I'm going to have lunch, I'm going to make the most of that opportunity. If you're going to sit down with LeBron, you're going to know his story and get a haircut and make sure you're looking the part, right? You want to show up and you're going to have that interaction with him. You're going to be ready for that, that day. If I'm going to stand in front of Jesus and the King of Heaven, the one we just read about, what does that do? That drives me back into preparation today as I look forward to the end. That fires up the hope cycle in my life because here's the thing. I don't want to show up in front of Jesus and not be ready, not be prepared for that. I don't want him to come back and meet and me to be zoned out, me to be focused on the things of this world, to have the, the stock of my life sitting here on earth rather than the day that I see Jesus face to face. None of us want that. It's fascinating to me. Lori and I, uh, you know, we're in the stage of parenting right now where we got four kids, uh, and it's a lot of fun, right? But it's, it's demanding, and Lori doesn't get to get out a whole lot. So she got away um, a few nights ago. It's probably two weeks ago now. And she was out for the evening, and I was hanging out with the kids, and I was thinking about what we're going to do and how we're going to spend our time, you know? And usually we just hang out and kind of play and have fun or whatever. And uh, for whatever reason, I got in my head, I'm like, let's, let's like really do it up, and let's get the house and like everything ready just the way that mom wants it, you know? So when she comes back, she's like fired up. So I say that to the kids, and they give me the standard kids response. It's like agony and torture, Right? Uh, I think literally that's what they did. It's great, right? They're, they're like 20 months to seven, so that's what you get at that age, right? So they got it together, and, and they started to do it, and they, they know their mom, right? So they know what's in her heart, and they know what she loves, and so they, they're like, oh, mom loves it when, when we put all these toys over here, and she, she loves it when the house is swept. She loves it when, when the counters are wiped off. So I got my six-year-old out with a sweeper. Don't call child services on me yet, but Right, they're getting all the house ready and they're prepping it all out. It's amazing to me because, you know, when I first brought it up with them, they, they were, had no interest really in, in getting the house ready. Who wants to clean for mom? Like nobody wants to do that. It was fascinating. As they began to, to prep for her, as the, the time drew nearer for, for Lori to come home, and here's my kids. They're like almost waiting at the door, right, to show up and to see mom. Why? Because they, they're ready. They're prepped. They know that when mom comes home, and she's going to be so fired up, and she's going to feel so loved, and she's going to feel so honored that, that her kids would represent her heart when she's gone, and they'd be ready for her. She doesn't have to come home to a huge mess. Fascinating to me. Fascinating that's what happened. And what I thought through as I was watching that play out, I thought, oh, wow. This is how this works for us. When I'm preparing and I have this expectation ready, is my, like my kids ready to receive mom back. All this stuff is firing for me. Here's the thing. My kids, they didn't look at me five minutes before Lori came back and say, you know what, Dad? I wish we didn't do this. I wish we would have just made a huge mess and watched movies and let our toys sit all over the place. 
They had no regrets. Fascinating. When mom showed up and, and, and they felt the passion and joy of their mom and that little interaction, there was no regret about getting the house ready for mom. And let me tell you, friends, that is exactly how it will be for us in the day that we see Jesus. Oh, what an amazing joy it would be for me to see Grace Church ready to receive, waiting at the door for Jesus to come back. Because no sacrifice, no act of obedience will ever be regretted on the day that he shows up. No one will ever say, I just wish that I would have wasted my life. No one. No one's going to say, man, I, I'm so sad that I picked up my Bible again. I'm, I so regret investing my finances into the kingdom and tithing. No one ever is going to regret the time they spent firing up this expectation for the day that Jesus came back. No one will say, I wish I went to church a little bit less. No one will say, I wish I didn't bring up the name of Jesus in front of that person who's hopeless and lost without Jesus in this world. No one will ever do that. No one. All of us will be glad on that day for the preparations that played out as we look forward to the return of Jesus, when Jesus shows up face to face, I promise you the only thing that will matter in that time and in that moment is the fact that that one, that all of humanity and all of creation and all of the angelic realm and these four weird beings and right, these 24 elders that are all focused on, the only thing that will matter is that king looking at you and I and saying, that one's mine. He's with me. You imagine? You imagine if someone that you respected the most honored you publicly and owned your relationship publicly in front of a multitude. And guys, that's a human being. The eternal God of the universe. In front of all that has ever been. Looking at you and I, man, saying, that one's mine waiting right at the door. I want to live like that. And you guys, if you've bumped into me over the last few weeks, you would have heard me say, this series is messing with my head, okay? And it is. And I really feel like that the, the center point of what is affecting me in these conversations, I'm looking and getting my heart around this reality is it's an expectation problem that I have. What I've been convicted about in looking into this is that my expectations are far too low. They're far too low. They are painful. When I think about the return of Jesus and I think about heaven, I have, oh, a fraction of the reality of it in mind. I'm going to bring back this quote that Pastor Jeff brought out a few weeks ago in his conversation about heaven. It's from C.S. Lewis. He said this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Fascinating. Guys, as we begin to land this conversation, I think that's the question we have to start to ask. Do I have an expectation problem? Is the emotional stock of my life, uh, 
so transferred into the account of this world that I have, I have low expectations for heaven. And I have low expectations for seeing Jesus. And I think that life is really found here on earth. The Bible says this life is a vapor. It's, it's a breath. It's gone in a second. And those of you who have been on the planet longer than myself, you can attest to this even deeper. This thing is moving, you guys. And at the end of the day, all that will matter is this expectation and this hope that we leaned into. Like Peter said, what did we say? That we have fixed our hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus is revealed for who he really is, I want to fixate fixate my hope completely there. Transfer all the emotional stock to that day. So I have an expectation problem. Guys, if you're like me, you do. And um, I think if we're honest, this is an issue for many of us. It's not that this world's a problem. It's not that chasing down a wall is even a problem. The walls aren't an issue. It's my vision of heaven and my vision of, more importantly, Jesus. Oh, it's just small and weak and extremely incomplete. Can I begin to grow that expectation? It's a question that I think we have to wrestle with. Can I begin to kick this hope cycle into place? Because here's the thing. If this is real and this is reality, what I just talked about, then I want to see Jesus face to face and I want to be prepared on the day that he shows up. It's the next question I have to wrestle with is do I have a preparation problem? Is there something that is holding me back? And here's what I have found personally is I'm in this hope cycle. What ends up happening is there's some piece of preparation that ends up being really hard. You ever notice that? If you're a Christ follower, you're gonna notice that, that there's a piece of preparation, man, that's just, it's personally difficult for me for whatever reason. Maybe it's staying on track or being in biblical community. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it's a huge thing that God is asking you to do. I don't know, last night a guy came up to me after sitting in the service and he said, Ryan, I want you to know that um, God has been asking me to do something for a long time and I haven't been willing to do it. And in hearing about who Jesus really is, I want you to know I made a decision to, to go into full-time missions. That's a massive decision, okay? There might be something like that. There might be a piece of preparation that's just huge for you that you need to wrestle with and tackle. I don't know. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a super small decision and you just need some momentum to begin firing again. Maybe it's literally picking up the Bible again and begin to read it. Maybe it's literally dealing with this sin issue that I know is a problem that has been locking me up. Because I don't know what it is for you. But here's what I'm fired up about. I don't want to beat us up. What I'm fired up about is that this hope cycle can start again. And we can see our expectation grow and it can drive us to preparation and that can fire the whole thing up again so that we can live for this big vision of Jesus. This is something we can actually do. 
But we got to be willing to be in it, and we have to be willing to ask the hard questions. Because I'm going to have the band come out, and, and let me say that if you've never heard this before, if you've never heard about Jesus and you don't, don't know if you trust him or not, maybe you're here for the first time, now let me just tell you what Jesus did to, to really earn this amazing title of victor over all things. Jesus entered that environment, right? He lived in heaven and he willingly left that place of receiving praise from all people, entered this earth with pain and death and loss. He lived a perfect life. Then he willingly died on a cross to pay for my sin and for your sin. As I personally have done all kinds of things I'm not proud of, sinned in more ways than I can count or imagine. And that Jesus that we just read about willingly laid down his life for me. And he's offered that same invitation to you. Offered to forgive your sins, guys. And if you've never done that, I'm telling you, the day that you see Jesus face to face, it is the act of preparation that you will be the most glad about. The initial decision to receive him as savior is he'll become the Lord of your life and he will be proud to receive you as his follower and as a son of God. Never made that decision, guys. Make that decision today. And for the rest of us, can we transfer the emotional stock out of this life into the next one? Can we be honest about the pieces of preparation that are hard? Can we own those? Can we tackle them as if we're waiting for Jesus right at the door? Can we live in hope with the end in mind? Guys, the band is going to lead us here in a second into these songs. I want you to listen to the words of these songs. It just wraps up right where we are. Before we do that, I want to spend a moment in prayer. I want us to realize, I'm going to lead us in some silence here for a second and realize who it is we're talking to right now. This, this is King Jesus that we get to pray to, focal point of history. Let's pray together. Father, we want to say thank you. Lord, thank you for a glimpse of heaven. Because, Lord, if we were left to ourselves, we would be lost in this world. Having all of our emotional stock placed in it, Lord. You are worthy of all of our lives and all of our energy, Lord, and all of our words. And Lord, we want to say thank you this morning for being a God who loves. And Lord, even though you know all our sin and you see all our secrets, Lord, you've chosen to love us and to forgive us. Lord, this morning I ask, would you help us to grow our expectation. The big expectation of seeing you face to face. Would you fire up our imaginations and 
begin to see this hope cycle move again, preparing for your return. As if we're going to stand in that throne room with you one day, Lord. Help us to believe reality and to emotionally lock into it. Just live with the end in mind, Lord. Thank you for your grace, your compassion. Help us this morning, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.